Hey, Ted, uh, advertisements on podcasts uh, sound like they're real endorsements, but they're not. But this is a real endorsement. Uh, We've talked about Main Street Books so many times on the show. Your sister, Ada, is the owner of the bookstore. And now our listeners can get 20% off their purchase at Main Street Books, excluding shipping costs, if they use the discount code take note one word at MainStreetBooksDavidson.com. That was really nice of your sister to do. Well, what I you can when you do this, you'll support an independent bookstore. Um, if you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area or the Davidson area, you should go there because it's one of the more pleasant places you'll ever visit. You'll find booksellers who love talking about books. You'll find great books and other some stationary products. Uh, I have successfully influenced her in that direction. Uh, but you can order them online, and your experience will be. Uh, I'll, I'll say it, it will be better than purchasing from uh, from your your unfriendly, non-neighborhood, megalomaniacal bookseller. So MainStreetBooksDavidson.com, head over there, uh, enter the discount code TAKENOTE, and uh, you get 20% off your purchase, and you will support an independent bookstore. Yep, you can order Sally Rooney's new book, Beautiful World, Where Are You?, which we're going to discuss in today's episode, as well as, I guess, any other book. Welcome to Take Note. This is a podcast about keeping a notebook and paying attention I have paid attention to the name of my co-host, and his name is Ted. Ted, how you doing? I'm good. I am paying attention to you, because that's what we do. Every, almost every single week, and just probably every month, we sit down and we pay attention to each other, and what we have to say. Sometimes, sometimes, we open other tabs on our browser to try to figure out the name of the thing that we mean to talk about when we're supposed to be paying attention. Um, usually, though, we don't need it's, to fill up those tabs during our first it's segment. A, it's a commentary, I think, on the, the modern condition. Yes. Yeah. Usually, usually it's because, I don't know about you, but I have sort of a brand name amnesia, where there's a thing, <laughs> there's a stationary item that I want to talk about, and in the moment I want to talk about it, I realize I have no idea the correct name for the thing. You know, I find the same phenomenon with with books, television shows, and films, and basic basically anything that one would talk about in this sort of shared setting. Well, I'm, I'm they dis- disappear entirely. I'm glad that I think we're going to talk about a book and a television show today. But first, <laughs> we're going to talk about what you wrote in your notebook. What do you got, Ted? All right, let's see. During lunch, I printed out and read eight pages of fiction. Uh, that I'd written. I pledged to myself not to edit as I went, but to approach it as a reader. George Saunders and his philosophy of reading your own work, uh, staying tuned in to where your own interest as a reader wanes, rang in my ears and I read on. I was equally delighted in what I had done and appalled (laughs) with what I had failed to do. but I moved through this draft, I read it, and that was something. I knew that when I read it again as an editor, 
I'd see the same good stuff and the same bad stuff. And at that point I would dig in, but for now I know uh, I gave it some space in my brain to just float. This felt almost radical to accept that I'd created something that I didn't, at least for that moment, have to judge and remake a kind of creative empathy or something. Next time, however, the scalpel will come out. Nice. That's good. There is really, there is something about putting your pen down, refusing yourself the ability to edit something that you've written, and just reading it. Uh, it's almost like meditation. It's almost like willfully disengaging a, uh, you know, like putting putting the car in neutral when the engine just wants to rev and rev. I recommend it. Uh, that sounds great. That sounds like a thing a person should do. Sounds like something I cannot do. <laughs> I won't. I'll just I'll just keep the pen in hand and attack, attack, attack. When I do actually throw the pen. Reading. Throw the pen across the room before you start. Okay, I'll do that. Um, what do you What do you got, Adam? All right. Well, I got I got one that I'm really not sure which order to tell it in. So here's what's going on. Uh, I have an event that I'm hosting, sort of a convention kind of in a couple weeks, and there's going to be a band. And today I got an email from the leader of the band that he will not be there, but he's going to find somebody else to lead the band. And he copied uh, two of the other band members, including the saxophonist, so that they could, so everyone could be in the loop. And so I wrote to the saxophonist this. We'll be paying the band by check, but I assume you only accept payment in the form of posters from the 1989 Batman film. Please confirm. And now, a flashback. The year is 1989. I, I felt like that was coming, yeah. but I'm ready for it. I am a lousy tenor saxophone student. I go to the house of a high school saxophone prodigy, and I get lessons from him. Presumably for two, three months, who knows. The only thing that I remember about any of this is that he said to me at one point, what do you think organized crime is a bunch of Italian guys sitting in a restaurant? No, it's kids like me on our computers. And he was acquiring <laughs> illegally and selling 1989 Batman posters. And this man is in the band that's going to be playing at this event. So the moment he was copied on an email, I sent him an email that said, hey, We'll be paying the band by check, but I assume, assume you only accept payment in the form of posters for the 1989 Batman film. Please confirm. Now, let me please clarify. This is the same this individual? This is the same individual. Here, <laughs> 32 years He's later. He's still playing. 32 still years playing later. He's still playing the sex. Yes. He was a prodigy. Wow. Yeah. So he was your age? He was in high school. I was 10. Okay. Nine. He was a prodigy he was he was a saxophone well, prodigy maybe i don't maybe prodigy is too strong of a word <laughs> is it unfair to say that he has not paid off on his prodigy status what do i know maybe he this is a little side gig this is how he i have no idea pays for his 
I have DVDs. no idea. Wow. So I sent that email. And so are you just you're just waiting? Well, just, just waiting. Click and refresh every ten yes, minutes to yes. see uh, see what comes back. I, I sent that email at ten thirty this morning, and I had to wait until eight thirty at night, and it was a long, <laughs> long ten hours. Um, and he wrote, "Dude, is this Adam Webb, my former SAC student?" Which I believe wow. means that he had to check in with a few of the other people who were copied on this crazy email he received, and one I had told the story to previously. Um, because I don't think there's any chance that he, he remembers me, actually. I don't know about that. Hmm? Sell yourself short. You, uh, you're a memorable figure. Even at 10, I'm <laughs> sure you cut, you, you cut a, 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 a new swath in the memory of this prodigy. Do you think this is... Do you think we are outside the... Um, Snitches get stitches. Um, <laughs> I'm blanking on the word for it. I think, let's just hope for your sake that this fella does not uh, operate by the rules of the Joker's gang <laughs> uh, in the 1989 film Batman. How does what? How much profit is there in illegal poster sales? I don't know. I'm looking forward to asking him that. Yeah. Do you... Well. Do you think I... Oh, wait, he didn't copy everybody. Got it. Great. Do you... I really wanted to copy everyone and, and tell them about the little speech I remember. But maybe that's too much. That's amazing. That's a magical moment. <laughs> so it happens you stick around in your old hometown long enough. That's right. What do you got, Ted? I'm going to quote my wife real quick. This is the extent of my what do you got... Quote, I am ready to wear chicken clothes, unquote. Say no more. Let's just say today was a four-egg day. So, uh, riding high on the hog of the chicken coop lifestyle. Speaking of illegal activities, we're not allowed to have this coop in the, in the yard, but our, our, our neighbors behind us uh, blazed a trail, and we can blame them if uh, the long arm of the law reaches... Back behind our garage. Well, you know what you're going to do if uh, the long arm of the law comes after you, right? I need you to tell yeah, me, clearly. You're going to flip on the uh, Batman poster thief from the late 80s. You just, oh, he's done. Yeah. Though you, you, you just well, you get a plea deal, right? You flip on him, you get a plea deal. Well, he's already given me my speech to deliver in the interrogation room with one one of my arms handcuffed to the uh, the metal desk. <laughs> hey, officer, you think that you think that gangsters are just eating? That's amazing! What an amazing! Uh, I think amazing. there's a there's a reason it stuck with me so long. Well, he really needed to get it off his chest that he was breaking the law. Yeah. And you were just—you were his little audience. Well, I think he—he seemed. I'm guessing he was pretty confident that you were not going to leave his house and head straight down to the neighborhood uh, precinct. No, you don't. Headquarters. I always—I wait till the moment's right, even if that's moments thirty-two years later. Um, <laughs> You're playing the long game. <laughs> that's right, and you know when the time comes, I'll ask your wife about these chicken clothes. Now that I know about it, All right, she'll be ready. Uh, what do you got? Up? All right. 
Uh, late walk, 10.50 p.m. I realize I'm approaching a man with a small dog. He's standing and looking to the side of the road. Oh, hello, I say. He jumps two feet and yells, oh, f His body wriggles in the air like a ribbon. He seems to hold on to fury for a few extra seconds. I legitimately think he's about to fight me. I keep walking and say, good luck. <laughs> It's good to be getting out again, Ted. <laughs> yeah, man, we are all just... I had to... Uh, we hung out with some folks the other day. Um, and I, I, after we got home, I had to ask my wife, did I... Uh, there was a moment when I was talking to someone and I was very... Uh, I, I felt like I was very brusque. Is that a word? <laughs> brusque? <laughs> yeah, it is. Brisk? Brusque. Feels like a brusque. word. <laughs> Both are words, actually. And I was like, was I? Was that weird? Uh, she was like, mm, you mean, oh, when you did this thing? And I was like, yeah, yeah. She was like, mm, no. I was like, I don't believe you, but I think I've forgotten how to uh, be nice to people. <laughs> she, she correctly identified the behavior that you were concerned about. Yes. Yeah. She knew exactly the moment I was talking <laughs> about, but somehow that moment was... That's disappointing. Uh, not as not as awful as I imagined it to be, which it clearly was. All right. Well, we have a long forgotten segment called Sticking With It, in which yes. we forget about the new shiny thing in front of us, and we talk about the thing that we've been using for a while. Ted, you got a, something you've been sticking with? The thing that just that, that transcends... Uh, the desire to buy something new because it just does its job. Well, mine is uh, I'm gonna make a little jingly sound, and this is this is not a stationary item. It's actually uh, something of a uh, a family heirloom. These are a pair of dog tags uh, from my grandfather from World War II, and uh, it, it's been a couple of years now, but I've rediscovered them in a drawer somewhere, and uh, I just. Started, I threw this, threw them around my neck and just started wearing these dog tags every day. Um, they are on this, these chains, you know, kind of like a like a bank pen attached to the desk. I know what you're and talking it, about. There's probably a name it for it. It could easily, it, it appears as if it could have been produced last year, um, even though it's 60, 70 years old um, and feels like it'll never break. Um, so it's a very robust object uh but it's just become very near to me i mean these things are so utilitarian little shapes you know with just stamped name and address and his his mom's name is stamped on there um my grandfather's mother so just really cool really special and it's just i've just been sticking with it it's just become one of those comfort things for me and you know my kids can hear me coming down the hall to their bedroom you know to come say goodnight with a little jingle and I had the idea to, to um you know I, I'm a little self-conscious about just wearing dog tags around um I was watching the uh the show you recommended and that that my brother-in-law Sherard also recommended t the Tim Robinson show is that his name that's right insane I think you should leave comedy is that what it's called I think you should leave very funny but when he was he was playing the extreme D-bag character who pours water on his steak. Um, 
he was wearing a pair of dog tags, and I was like, mm, interesting. Is that, what, is that what's going on with me? So I, what I, I had the slight epiphany to, like, dangle some other fun little colorful stuff. So I got my daughter to give me a little color wheel charm that she has. So now this, the dog tags are taking on a little bit of extra character. So that is what I am sticking with. You've got a World War II era sticking with it. That's right. That is, that's staying power. Right there. Would you put that? Would, um, would you put those dog chains on? That's called a ball chain. I think it's fun when we find the right name for things on this show. A ball that's chain. That's what it's called. Is ball that chain. A fun name. It's, okay. All right. Ball chain. It sounds like a joke name, I guess, but the they've been made in the USA by the ball chain company seriously since 1938. Now. It's amazing. It's amazing technology. It's amazing the kind um, of knowledge that just appears in my mind. When I'm focusing on you and not pulling up a tab to look nothing up else. a brand name or something. Uh, what, uh, what have you been sticking with, Adam? Well, well mine is, uh, mine's from World War One. I. I hate to one-up you on this. <laughs> <laughs> the Great War. Is that the Great War? <laughs> I, think, I think it was the Great War until the other Great War right. came along. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've been sticking with line notebooks. You know, um, I think I've mentioned it on the show uh, quite a few times recently, but I'm now on my second Field Notes Trailhead edition, but I think it's the, maybe the fourth or fifth line notebook that I've used in a row, and um, Mm. yeah, and I've mentioned this before too, but uh, it's uh, blue ink for fiction and black ink for just my normal everyday notes, Uh, but sticking with it comes... Uh, naturally to this show from uh, not when you're not mixing it up a lot there's not a there's not some shiny new thing to talk about and so yeah i've been sticking with these line notebooks and you're you are not you were not historically a line notebook devotee per se right you know actually i i I mean i think i've always probably preferred the line notebooks but i will um kind of use whatever shiny new thing that field notes puts in front of me and, you know, uh, as happens every year, my Field Notes subscription is going to expire with the next edition. And it does seem just crazy to keep um, renewing when I clearly know that I prefer the lined edition and they only put out typically one lined edition to the, subs- to the subscription every year. Otherwise, they're all graph of some sort. Um, but I have a hard time resisting that shiny thing. And maybe listing it as a sticking with it and it stuck with. A stuck with it, S- stuck with, it. Mm. sticking with, thing. Well, maybe we'll 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 check it. We'll we'll do a new segment called "Did you stuck with?" Did you it? stuck with it? In six six months, it'll create an accountability yep, structure. Yep, that's an accountability structure. You know, it it almost at random, as if uh, I knew the topic of ruled lines would come up. I wrote down a comment that for some i was on the field nuts reddit page which is i don't know what the oh, man. you must be missing facebook man field nuts i i was on reddit which is ridiculous to begin with and then i i think i felt so bad about being on reddit that i searched for the one thing that felt somewhat wholesome and that was the field nuts on reddit and of course i came across the comment uh, i i'm not gonna do the service of quoting the user but uh quote Lined paper is obsolete, unquote. And I thought to myself, uh, goodbye, Reddit. 
I think if if you gotta be somewhere on Reddit, you want to be on R slash Panel Show, and that is the Reddit community for um, classic clips discussion and new episodes of panel shows, primarily from the UK. Panel shows also referred to as light entertainment there, um, which sounds like a joke, but that's the that's that's the real name for it. You may have seen. Well, they're just comedians telling jokes to each other. Sit around, ask questions, ask about the news, maybe, but it's just jokes. Cannot go wrong. Yeah, I think we we here in America need more of that kind of content. We do. Uh, If you're going to go to Reddit once, if like if there's a page you want to go to once and never go to again, I would say uh, the extinct hockey teams subreddit that Judge John Hodgman started is a pretty great one-shot. I'm not going to say you need to go back again. How many times can you read a list of extinct hockey teams? But that's a good one. I wonder if there's a... I wonder how the Reddit poetry uh, page is doing. I am... (laughs) I'm ready to dive into a month-long project that I will give up on on day four. There was an article in the New York Times Magazine, Letter of Recommendation. The article is called My Secret Weapon Against the Attention Economy. And it is about rereading the same poem over and over for an entire month. And when you do that, the headline says, you stop scrolling along the surface and dive deep beneath. And I don't know about you, but I, uh, you know, I see an article like this. This is the trick to uh, resisting the attention economy. It's like, I just don't know what kind of, how you can read this and be like, no way. I'm going to, I'm giving in to the attention economy. I'm not going to try this secret weapon. So I'm looking for a poem. Looking for a poem to read for the month of September. Well, it, implicit in that is, is, is there a careful selection process for the poem? Should it be a poem you love? Should it be? Here's what they say to do. Oh. They say, before you're going to start this project. Like four years before you start this project, you start a podcast with your buddy. And then when your buddy's yeah. not expecting it, check. You tell you say, Hey, I need a poem I can read for a month. What do you recommend? Uh I, I don't know a lot about poetry, but I'd recommend uh, Robert Frost. Let's go with uh the one about Nature. The tent, the silken tent. I'm going to say you have to read. You have to read the silken tent every day, and I'm going to read it right now. I can I? I want to ask you a question first. Sure. Have you read this poem before? Yes. Okay. Just check it. I know you're an English Uh, major, so not currently American literature major, but and so part of being an American literature major is knowing about American literature that you didn't necessarily have the time to read. This page, this poem is only seven pages long. No, oh. I'm kidding. It's short. Okay. She is as in a field of silken tent at midday when the sunny summer breeze has dried the dew and all its ropes relent so that in guise it gently sways at ease and its supporting central cedar pole that is its pinnacle to heavenward and signifies the sureness of the soul 
seems to owe naught to any single cord, but strictly held by none is loosely bound by countless silken ties of love and thought to everything on earth the compass round, and only by one's going slightly taut in the capriciousness of summer air is of the slightest bondage made aware. All right. Do you have any additional suggestions? Day one. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) We record that 29 more times. Okay. You're just going to play me reading it out loud to you every single day. No, no, no. I'm going to read a poem every day for for four days, probably. Um, and, And I guess that's the one I'll do. Well, it's up to you. I mean, if you didn't read that one, I would look pretty bad right now, having just read it uh, on this podcast. That's true. Th- that we started four years ago just to reach that moment when I chose that poem for you to read. Right. Have you day. ever read V by Tony Harrison by any chance? No. It's a very long poem. You couldn't do that one every day, but it's the one that I keep coming back to because it's, uh, um, I don't know, I really like that poem. It's about... Uh, it's about old English towns where there's no work anymore, and it's about football and this guy's family. It's a real good poem. V by Tony Harrison. Well, I'll tell you one reason I am sincerely excited about reading the poem that you've just suggested. Because when you read it to me, it felt so impenetrable that I actually could can see myself like getting somewhere with this poem and it taking me some time to sort of unwind the poem, so. So Adam, I mailed you a book recently. Thank you, I appreciate technically, that. Technically my wife mailed it to you, but I prepared it and I put it in an envelope, and I wrote your address on it. She mailed it, but it arrived. That's the and point. I will mail it back to you. I received your passive-aggressive jokes about not having it, and I have wish I had the book a, today. Wish I had a paper copy to reference. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yep. 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 Well, I left my paper copy upstairs, so I don't have a paper copy <laughs> to reference either. But uh, the book we both read is called Beautiful World, Where Are You? It's called New Sally Rooney Book. One second. Sally Rooney <laughs> 3, it's called. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful world. Where are you? Okay, I got it right. When I was about to say it, I thought it was going to be wrong. Is it called Beautiful World, Where Are You? If you yes, look up it's... Sally Rooney 3, that shit does not come up. <laughs> it is a hard book title to remember. Got it. As I, as I find most book titles are. Did I say that already? Uh, you've been just talking about not being able to remember anything. <laughs> God, this attention economy is doing me in. <laughs> so we both read Sally Rooney's Beautiful World, Where Are You? And we talked a little bit about the excerpt from the book in The New Yorker in an episode a few weeks ago. But uh, honestly, I realized that we're going to put this episode out the day that, uh, that the new book it's the biggest book of the fall season comes out and it seemed like it would be um self-defeating to not talk about the book again in a time at a timely point 
We're ahead uh, of the curve, and, and let's just embrace it for this sweet, fleeting moment. That's right. And, and then for the rest of the month, we'll talk about Frost. <laughs> so, you know, I've read uh, Sally Rooney's previous two novels. I was really excited yeah. about it, which is why um, when you said you had it, I said, send it to me. Just like yes. that. Um, uh, you haven't read Sally Rooney's other novels. Uh, you know, did you have, uh, I don't know, uh, what did you think about her writing? You know, I loved it. I loved the book. Um, I, my sister handed it to me and I said something uh, annoying like, is this one of those books where it's just written all in text message or something like that? Um, and she, she said something like, oh, I don't know. It's what the, the young people are reading. And I was like, all right, hand it over. And then, so I had no expectations. As I tweeted today, I liked this book before I knew I was supposed to like it or not supposed to like it. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think she, you know, if she's deft with style, her conversations are are fascinating. I had one little hang up with the conversations, which maybe we can get to, but... Um, oh, let's hear your I mean, quibble. Well, my, I, I think my quibble is uh, that all of the characters' conversations were about their relationship that they were having in real time, um, which maybe that's what young... That, maybe that's how young people talk now, but, uh, you know, they'd be like, uh, this is our first date... Oh, is it how how are you enjoying our date so far? You know, th- just sort of like there was not a lot of like um normal talk <laughs> where you're so, just that's a talking fair about the things you're doing. It was more like we're now talking more about the relationship that we're engaged in with each other. I think that's a fair quibble. I have a I have a counterpoint about the things they talked about because there's something that occurred to me as I was finishing the book today. But first, I guess we should just say that uh, it's a book about uh, four people, two women and two men who are, I guess, <coughs> in their 30s, probably. Um, and what I noticed, and that I thought was maybe a little bit different from the previous Sally Rooney novels, maybe, is I actually thought towards the end that they did talk about their work a lot. And in one of the characters who does uh, manual labor... They really, the Sally Rooney really sort of focuses on that. And at some point towards the end of the book, it begins to feel like it's a, it's a book about how we relate to work. And there's a conversation early on about Marxism and working classness. And so as the work talk kind of kept creeping in, I went back to, I thought back on the conversation that was in the excerpt and is early in the book about what it means to be working class and who is working class and who is not. They're all very stressed out people, and I think Sally Rooney is very stressed out and uh, puts herself into this book. Uh, one of the characters is a suddenly very successful young novelist who, in part, I think she's acknowledged as based on her experiences. You sent that tweet, and I didn't know exactly what it meant. Uh, you didn't know whether you're supposed to like it or not like it. And I'm assuming that there is some sort of backlash to the book. I don't know if backlash, but I, I, I'm experiencing that, that Twitter phenomenon in which, uh, 
you, uh, you see tweets that are referencing an argument that is taking place somewhere else, but that you are not, <laughs> have not actually witnessed. And it's people sort of talking meta about the argument. I think, I think that's what's happening with this book. There's enough expectation and enough uh, excitement that it's stirring things both ways. And, you know, this, I was looking at a, a review in the Atlantic um, of this book that was titled Sally Rooney Responds to Her Critics, which is like a weird <laughs> book review title, but it yeah. kind of encapsulates what I'm talking about. I think you have to be really, really good to elicit this much negative response before most people have even read your book. Um, but I, 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 it kind of speaks to how I came in clean. I didn't even really know that she was a famous and successful novelist who had created a character who was a famous and successful novelist. So I just... I had a little bit of a clean slate. Now that said, I think your point about work was was uh, a really good one. And so I'll, I'll walk it back a little bit. Now, um, one of the scenes that sticks in my mind the most was when he, when the character Felix, who works in a warehouse, is describing like a cut on his thumb. Mm -hmm. and, it was, and there was just something in, in the way she wrote about that and the way it was in such contrast to kind of the 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 working lives of the other people just having a cut on your thumb as being something that happens at work i mean you can tell by my uh sense of wonder and fascination that uh aside from r removing the occasional staple from a packet of papers i don't face a lot of physical risk but that bringing that into the fore was a very effective way of creating that contrast you know I have often wondered about your coworkers at the Staple Factory. What do they think of your role as just a guy who removes the staples from the box all day <laughs> to staple well, the invoices and receipts together while there they are making the staples? Let's just say they've never seen me without my chainmail gloves on. Okay. <laughs> it's a vital component. Of it. I, I know what you're... Sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> I know what you're talking about with the, um, with the dialogue though, and they the characters in this book and in the other books, they do, they do tend to speak in a very I guess I would say like self-aware. Yeah. That, you know, that that works for me. That's kind of stimulating I, for me. Isn't it's interesting to read. No, it's I, not I completely agree. Not necessarily believable, and it reminded me of. Um, so uh, there's something else she does in the book, and she kind of combines the two things. She combines this sort of self-aware, uh, stimulating dialogue with these, where she's noticing every detail, which speaks conveniently to uh, the part of our show that is about paying attention. Uh, and there's the mm -hmm. scene on this beach where characters are having a long dialogue, and in between this dialogue, there's just all of these little tiny details, including just a bug landing on a towel and that sort of thing. And it reminded me of something that old professor of mine told me about Saul Bellow, who was his friend. He said that Saul Bellow claimed that he would, and I don't know exactly what this means, and it may not be exactly what I'm saying for Sally Rooney, that he would write the novel from beginning to end, and then he would go back in and put the detail in. And I wonder mm. if... I wonder if, in a way, that is how Sally Rooney writes, where she writes this dialogue and then goes back later and, and 
observes this detail or has observed this yeah. detail and put it in some other place and then pulls it from there and combines it together, which may not well, the, be what she does, but yeah. it's the, in my mind for the writing to be that interesting, there's like a sorcery. It's either sorcery or trying yeah. to, you know, try to reverse engineer it is fascinating to me. Well, the brain, the brain that produces such engaging dialogue uh, seems like a different brain than would describe an empty room in a way that never is not compelling and totally mesmerizing. Um, so yeah, she, she's, she's accessing different parts of her brain. Maybe it happens at different times. Maybe she can turn it on and turn it off. I mean, I think, you know, the, the older you get, the more you realize there is no sorcery. There's some grueling, <laughs> grueling, miserable process behind it. Um, one can only wonder what that is, but whatever it is, she's incredibly deft at maintaining the reader's attention. I mean, I think the other, the other, like, uh, like trait of this novel that stayed with me, um, was just the creation of, of tension within a scene or within a conversation or, or, an interaction like the the working class character Felix and the novelist who's you know has all this wealth that she's sort of and she's she's kind of built a you know built a wall of words around herself I think both in the writing novels but also just you know her defense mechanism is just to talk um, when the world is threatening to overwhelm her but the two of them to me have the this really kind of intense, almost like two live wires just being waved around each other um, in a way that was not, I didn't, didn't quite become like exploit, exploitative, but just felt very, I just didn't know what was going to happen next, even within the context of not being horrified or, or you know, scared for anybody although there were times where that yep. kind of certainly was part of it but. yeah yeah i mean that to me that's just another another type of sorcery you know there's a, it's another yeah. bit of magic in the book where i don't understand exactly how that happens either um i think tension you know when i think about I've probably maybe even mentioned this on the podcast before, but when I think about a book I've enjoyed... If you mentioned it before, it's a sticking with it. Go for it. <laughs> I'm sticking with tension. <laughs> uh, that that when, I, when I am really into something, it's because the writer or the, you know, the TV show or whatever has, has created some tension. You know, the stakes for one character are, are pressed against those of another and you, you, you're... you're the reader is caught in between, you know, these kind of, whether it's like social mores or, or risk or whatever, you know, some character is putting themselves out there or something is going to have like that. But that tension is the sorcery to me, which I think, you know, I think back on the many years of kind of, uh, you know, you're a young wannabe writer in a writing workshop or you're, you're, reading stuff and thinking it's great but i there was so many times when i never thought about what tension am i creating or what what are what am i what is actually interesting about the way these people are interacting what what might happen and i think she's just really good at 
uh, on a human scale writing, writing in a way that looks towards what might happen and not quite letting the reader be comfortable or, um, or quite, you know, let it go. And then, but that energy, that is your book, you know? I agree. I don't know how she does it either. I think we, we both recommend the book, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's and great. With the take note seal of approval. She's going to be a star. <laughs> uh, let's do this again next week, Adam. What do you say? Sounds great. Check us out online, on the internet, our little corner of the attention economy uh, at uh, takenote.space. That's a URL. We're on Twitter at twitter.com slash takenotepod. In the meantime, take care. Next millennium, you'll have to search quite hard to find my slab behind the family dead. Butcher, publican, and baker, now me, bard, adding poetry to their beef, beer, and bread. All right. That's the first section of, uh, that's the first stanza of uh, V by Tony Harrison. <laughs>